Welcome to the Contracting Handbook Podcast. Before I start, I want to tell you about my friends over at Diamondback Tool Belts. When I talk to owner Connor Crook, I hear him talking about designing tool bags and gear that makes life easier for builders, makes our bodies last longer, and makes us stronger. Long live our builders. When I talk to Damani Harrison, I hear a man who cares about builders. He wants tradition to be carried on. He wants us to pass down skills and knowledge to the next generation. He wants to see things built. He believes in our futures. When I talk to Sean Millam, I hear a man who spent years working for the Yellow Company, coming into a new company, being invigorated by the environment he's working in, by people who believe in him and believe in his experience, what he brings to a growing company that believes in builders. And that's just it. At Diamondback Tool Belts, they believe in us, the builders. This is not a paid promotion. These guys gave me prime real estate at JLC Live in March of this year to do my thing and ask for nothing in return. Nothing. Because they believe in what I'm doing too. Today, I talked to Joe Mitchell of Finish Point Trim, who with his co-conspirators at Finish Point aims to honor and promote the skilled trades through apprenticeship, coaching, mutual respect, and agreements. Thanks for joining us for this episode 122 of the Contracting Handbook Podcast. Now a couple nuggets from Joe. And they're like, oh, I just can't teach this kid anything. Yeah. And they say they can't learn. I think there's three things to that. One is you're not charging enough to create the space to teach people. Number two is you're letting the wrong people on your team and your interview process probably sucks um, because you would rather have a body than you would a person who who has the things you know you want the trench with you. And three, um, you you probably don't understand what it's like to, to coach and what the realistic expectations are to teach people. And guess what? People usually need to hear it seven times before it clicks. And if you're not cool with that, you shouldn't be teaching people. I want it to be obscenely expensive. We can do that. Yeah, <laughs> so, baby. Um, when you, when you understand that stop viewing it through the eyes that you've been trained in, it's not my money and I do not understand or didn't at the time how they think and how to serve them. It is not black and white. You have to walk into a room quickly and understand what this client needs, what their pain points are and stop trying to be interesting and be interested in their problem. When, when you get that and you truly start trying to solve those problems, people will gravitate towards you. You, you don't get rid of your problems. You just get better problems. Um, and if you don't have that drive and if you don't truly believe in what you're doing every day, if you don't have a great group of people around you, I think you're going to find excuses not, uh, not to put your heart into it 100% every single day. Is the customer always right? No, I don't think they are. I think quite often they are paying us to be the expert to bring like, you know, some some form to all the chaos. You don't have to bend to their will. Typically, the best way you serve people is by telling them no and allowing them to be wrong with dignity. Facilitating construction startups, elevating the building community, and helping to usher in the next generation of builders, the Contracting Handbook podcast connects builders globally through conversation. The man who's seen it all, your host, Mike Kenoki, general contractor at large in Fairbanks, Alaska. Welcome to 
Welcome back to the Contracting Handbook, everybody. My guest today is an advocate for professionalism in contracting, stewardship of time and money. He aims to revive and honor the skilled trades with a keen sense of place. It's the CEO of Finish Point Trim and Millwork, Joe Mitchell. Hey, Joe. Good to have you. Hey. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the uh, the intro. I feel I feel very underqualified now. Uh oh. <laughs> I'm supposed to make you feel at ease with the intro. Oh, there you go. We'll work work on that. (laughs) Okay. Um, So before we get into it, um, tell me a little bit more about your current position at at Finish Point as COO. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, Here at this company, you know, it's a little bit different at every company. Uh, Here, what that means is I'm pretty much in charge of field operations. Um, We have have multiple teams in the field every day who who are putting... Uh, finished carpentry in place. You know, what you think of is a standard running trim, uh, setting doors, running crown, lots of TNG, um, just uh, the finished carpenters who, who make it happen every single day. Um, mm-hmm. Charge of all of those guys. Um, you know, uh, some door and window stuff, like some some large nano walls and, and Marvin sliders and that, that kind of stuff we do as well. Um, so my role is to make sure that, um, that all that work, um, that there's, there's, there's people allocated to take care of all that, um, that I'm developing people, that I'm casting a vision for this place, um, that I'm recruiting and that finish point, finish point is becoming more more of the best place possible to work and working life. No pressure there. Yeah, no pressure there at all. It's uh, it's great. The the owner Josh has has you know cast that vision. You know we exist yeah. to stand in the gap of a dying industry. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's a big vision to live up to. But I think you have to have one in order to believe in what you do every day and get out of bed every day and and push as hard as we try to. No doubt, no doubt. It's not just about money. You got There's got to be something else. Yeah, I think if you do it just for the money, that runs that runs thin really quick. I think you have to have the discipline and you have to have a belief that you're doing it. Um, you're doing it to make it a better place or you're not going to make the, you're not going to make the hard decisions and, and be okay with being uncomfortable if, uh, if that's all you're in it for. Yeah, no doubt. You get to a certain place, you get comfortable and then you have to give some, there has to be more to it. Yeah. You got to give so. back. Um, you know, you, you don't get rid of your problems. You just get better problems. Um, and if you don't have that drive and if you don't truly believe in what you're doing every day, if you don't have a great group of people around you, I think you're going to find excuses not to, uh, not to put your heart into it 100% every single day. How long have you been there? Um, I've been at finish point a little bit off and on since 2011. That's a good run. Uh, how long have you been a carpenter? Mm, 2002. Um, so yeah, when you say it like that, it sounds like a really long time. Um, yeah, I started with a guy, um, I needed books for school. I could not afford to, uh, to buy my books for, uh, for law school. And, uh, so I reached out to a guy I knew who owned a construction company, had no idea what, what he did, who he was other than, um, then we shared a, we shared a commonality of, we, uh, we did track days together. And uh, I said, John, can uh, can I come and work for you for a couple of weeks and and buy some books and then quit? <laughs> he said, 
yeah, sure you can, of course. Um, and I worked for him for 10 years and found out that he just happened to be one of the finest home builders, custom home builders in, in the state. Um, and he, he was everything. He was designed, build everything from start to finish, these monster custom homes that we got to do everything on. And it was, uh, it was such a blessing that I had no idea the level of education that I was receiving there until, until later on working at other places. And you realize that guys just, just don't have the exposure to that kind of stuff. Um, guys usually start and end their careers in one very particular field. So to be blessed to, to, to dig it, um, to, to pour it, to frame it, to finish it, to build the cabinets, um, to do everything. Uh, it was, uh, it was a blessing that, um, that I don't think I, I don't know how to replicate that experience for people. Amazing. Law school too. So another overeducated carpenter out there in the world. Mm, I made the wise decision. It was, it was literally the night before I was supposed to move to law school. Um, that I made the decision I wanted to stay in the trade and get my GC. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was pre-08 when everybody I knew, um, who were my friends who were attorneys, they, they hated their life. And everybody I knew who was a contractor was making killer money. Um, yeah. So I'm, I made the decision to try to do what I loved and what I had some aptitude at. Um, versus versus take a chance on something that everybody told me my whole life that I should do. Cruelly, as a supervisor and and managing a daily field, are you still bags yeah. on at all, or or are you? Mm, I'm bags staying on. Staying out of the way. Do it. Um, so you, I, you, 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 I couldn't hear you for a second there. Oh, you're fine. When I create the space to do it, I get to wear the bags. Uh -huh. uh, you know, when when things are going really well, things are planned out. Um, and I get to be one-on-one -on -one with people. Those are, those are the best days. That's, that's when I've done my job and that's when everything is clicking. Um, you know, we go on, we go on a couple installs where, where I do get to go out of town and I do get to wear the bags for a week and cut my phone off. But that's a, that's a vacation week for me. Uh -huh. um, that's, that's definitely my favorite time. Um, so yeah, I wish I could be bags on all the time. But um, as of as of right now, my calling is 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 not that. Yeah, you can't be you can't be back sound with the phone ringing all the time either. It gets yeah. way too much. It's kind of got to be. I think the guys who are great are the guys who can singularly focus on something and be really really dialed into it. And I don't think you can do that and be and be on the phone and worried and stressed and like, you know, seeing six months ahead. I think you have to have the guy who can do that. Um, I just I just enjoy I enjoy the work so much sometimes that, um, that I really I just have to. That's my that's my stress relief is getting mm -hmm. to getting to be there. And when when you're in the field with the guys and when you're actually, you know, have a pulse on things. You get to see all the things that you thought were going right that are not going right. Mm -hmm. uh, all the things that, that I'm letting, uh, you know, uh, degrade or not be to the standard that they need to be um, because of my lack of leadership. That's when I actually get to see it and get to see the downfall of the decisions that I make or the lack of decisions that I make. You, there is a disconnect. I've, I was a GC with three guys. I never had a middle guy, foreman. You know, he's the middle guy in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I was I, I stopped being bags on. I would only help in a pinch. 
but I really felt like uh, I got disconnected. I really had to lean on my foreman to make sure that uh, that we were communicating about those those little things because you do think it's going right from the office, but then you get out there and you're like, wait a minute, there's been a shift here. Yeah, and what's funny is you think that by going on site, like when you're when you're prepping projects, when you're selling projects, you're having site meetings, you're you're on site, so you see stuff. That to me is completely different than like wearing the vest, putting work in place with the guys, and actually understanding the intricacies of of what I forgot, what I'm not training on and where the guys are overproducing, all all of these things that I could, I could put blinders on and I could fool myself that are going well. If I don't have a, if I don't have some connection with that, as much as you want a decentralized command, if you do not have a pulse on that, um, you're not getting the full truth. Um, so you have to, you have to at least know if you, if you want to be the kind of leader that, that addresses real problems instead of all the stuff that's in your head that you think is an issue. Absolutely. And we're going to, we're going to kind of circle back to this, I think towards the end, because I, <laughs> I, I definitely wanted to, uh, I wanted to address the field stuff, but let's go, let's start back at, um, at the apprenticeship program you guys have going on. Cause I just learned it recently. I think oh, yeah. through, through, uh, through Damani Harrison at Diamondback that, Tool Belts. Yeah. Damani's a, a great, great resource for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and an advocate for, for everybody trying to get into trades and, and moving the construction industry forward. Um, and I started chatting with whoever's running the, uh, whoever's running your IG page. Yeah. That's one of our apprentices. who's actually here on scholarship. Yeah. Um, we, call, we call him cool Justin because we have an uncool Justin who's a project manager, but uh, and he's, and he's uncool. He's too old to be cool. Yeah, he's uh, um, cool. Justin has completely transformed the way that um, that our social media works. He's he's great to have. Yeah, um, next with people, um, he loves it, so he does it. You know, yeah. and he makes sure it's not just a bunch of pretty BS pictures um, that people see. They actually get to connect with the guys. They actually get to see that we're just a bunch of imperfect people trying to trying to do this thing. And it's it's increased our recruiting exponentially. It's very cool. And for anybody out there listening, check out these, it's the, uh, whatever the highlighted areas in Instagram on the finish point trim page on Instagram. And there's a cool little video there. I think we're cool. Justin interviews another one of your apprentices and he talks about all the cool stuff, which I was impressed. So you guys provide yeah, housing. He, he, does a, uh, he does a get to know the team in 90 seconds. He does all, all of these little things and it's, people actually get to know some of the team and not think that, um, that they couldn't be a part of it. Um, because naturally when there's divide, you, you naturally think that other people are doing things better, different, um, and that you wouldn't fit in there. But when you see that we're just a bunch of goofballs, we're a bunch of guys like making it up every day. Mm -hmm. And just because we have a little bit of success, um, you know, doesn't mean that we're any better than anybody else. So, um, to like to tear down whatever that barrier is for people is what social media is about for us. Yeah, and the, and the program sounds awesome. You guys provide housing for up to a year, a tool budget, twelve hundred bucks for the first year, something like that, and on yeah, the job. 15. Okay, um, and on the job training. I mean, 
how do you how do you filter through how do you how do these guys apply and, and get into this yeah it's it's I, I love talking about this just because it's been it's one of those things where you think you might have a good idea and then in the back of your mind you think this could be really stupid <laughs> um, so uh, we started uh, really struggling to find local guys who wanted to join the team we felt like we'd almost tapped out the market for young driven um, guys who who wanted to do what we do every day so um, Josh and I started saying what how can we recruit people here I said I get messages all the time from people from around the country who want to move here and work with us but there's something always stopping that process so um, we said how can we how can we get past this the next thing is like how can we throw money at this problem to remove all of these hurdles either it costs too much to move here um, I can't find a place to live when I get there because the market's moving so fast. I'm going to miss my family. All of these things, we just started saying, what if we what if we had a place for them to live? We take that away. We pay for an apartment. Their bills, let's just pay their utilities so they don't have to worry about getting that set up. I miss my family. We'll fly you home four times a year. It's expensive to move. I'll pay whatever it is plus mileage to get you here. I'll get you out of your lease up to three months to get you in the door. Um, the right kind of person and when we did the math and we realized you know what our average revenue is per person versus what we pay an apprentice versus what that extra like twenty three thousand um, dollars is a year we were still making enough on top of that that when we looked at it we said we're stupid we're stupid not to do this why would we why would we not make this decision if someone told me I could make X amount of dollars for this amount of investment I would do it all day so we said, let's do it. Let's put out the call. And the first one we did, we highlighted, hey, we want you to leave. And when we said that, people were like, what, what does that even mean? So it starts the conversation of, we want you to move to Knoxville. We will train you as high intensity as possible for a year. And then we're going we're gonna to send you back to your home community with all of these skills so you can start your own business and do it for somebody else. And in 10 years, the tide raises. Um, so that's where the idea sprang from. And the first time we thought we would have about 10 guys apply and we had over 140. Amazing. Uh -huh. How many did you recruit? How many did you bring into the program? Picked one. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it's a kid named, uh, Parker Collins and, um, to bring that kid into our organization to have that many, like, it wasn't like 140 people and like three high quality. Um, we had about 50 really high quality individuals apply for this who were hungry. So to sift that through and to get all the way down to the person where I knew the first time I talked to him that this kid was special. Um, and to see what he has transformed um, in these walls um, is, is nothing short of amazing. So I would, I would pay that all day just to have that influence on everybody else. How long is the program? When did the program start? Uh, we've been doing it for three years now. Um, and we try to bring in, we've been bringing in two guys a year. Um, and I think, I think we're ready to uh, increase that. Um, we want to find out a, a more stable solution for housing or something that's um that we can actually scale a little bit better we actually want to build our own bunkhouse and do all this stuff but 
um, we want to start bringing in for a year. That's what we would like to do. Fantastic. And uh, so all the funding is through, through profit from the, through revenue from the, from yes. the company. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that if we got creative that we could find other sources to fund us. Um, there are grant programs and things like that, especially in individual states um, that can help with that. Um, right now we're blessed to be able to, to do it because the guys, um, the guys get in the field and kill it every single day. So, um, we are blessed to be able to do that, but that comes from a multitude of things like you're aware of. It's like how you, how you price your jobs, what, um, you know, uh, if you are charging bare minimum, you're never going to be able to do something like that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you have to have the pieces yeah. in place before you can do it. But, um, there are plenty of guys out there that will, that will help you with that. Okay. How, how after three years, so the program is one year, what's retention like with these guys? So far, everybody is re-upped. Um, so you've got, so you've got the first people you brought in are still there. Yeah, they cool. are. Um, Very cool. We're, we're getting to the, we're getting to the spot right now where somebody like Parker has the skill sets where, um, he could go wherever he wanted, you know, that's the goal is for them to have a backlog of people who would love to hire them. And, uh, we're blessed to have a network of, of really great trade partners, guys who do what we do, like Millworks and, you know, ProBuilt, all of the companies like that. Um, you know, he's connected with those guys now. So if he wants to say, hey, I'd love to go to L.A. and spend the next year and learn from learn from Dan or learn from Anthony or any of those guys, um, I would love for him to do it. Um, I think that's the greatest gift you can give somebody is, is experience. And I've told him if, if you ever have the chance and you have to choose between money or experience, always choose experience because mm. nobody can take it away from you. I like that, man. I like that a lot. That's why I didn't make much money when I was younger. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what we've learned are the guys who are really successful who come in the door and, um, you know, you either have people that you, um, you know, you've managed people, you know what it's like to push people. Um, and you also know what it's like to try to stay ahead of driven people, people who are self-propelled, mm -hmm. um, man, you, you point them in a direction and you give them just, you know, you, you say go and try to keep up with them. And that's mm -hmm. what, that's what we're trying to fill the, fill the bus with right now are people like that. I love that. Yeah, that's a good feeling when you're chasing. It is. It makes you really self-conscious as a leader, but um, it does. it's a good problem to have. Absolutely. I think that you have to build a team around you that helps um, that helps shoulder that burden. You know, mm -hmm. that you have to have people who everybody knows what the mission is. Um, you filter every decision through that, and you make sure that the people you're putting on the team um, have the same values that, that you hold dear. Um, you have to have a bare minimum, like we call them, you know, foot in the door, you know, uh, bare minimum values that people have to meet before they even like make it, make it out of this room onto the team. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have that and they're, they're not getting on the team. So our turnover once people are on the team is pretty, is pretty low. Uh, for those reasons, we make it pretty hard to get in the door. Well, I love the, I love hearing about this program. It's very admirable. It's, it's, uh, it gives me a lot of hope and it's, it's, it's inspiring to hear that this is happening. Um, I think a lot of, I think 
you know, a lot, most construction companies out there, most general contractors out there aren't really thinking about being able to afford something like that. So you guys are in an excellent position. It's really nice to see and hear and love it. Yeah, it's, um, uh, it's fun. There are other guys who have started to do it. You know, we're mm-hmm. always talking to other, other companies, um, like, uh, K Alger Woodworks, um, Ellis Reed Millworks in Charlotte, um, all, all of these places, um, Julian and Sons, um, all of these places are putting those things in place or are already doing it. And it's uh, when you can foster something like that and you see other people having success with it, um, it's, a, it's a great thing. Uh, we, we operate under the fact that we just give away that knowledge. Like if anybody ever wants to see how the numbers work, um, I'll, I'll give them everything. You know, we'll send the whole training program to people for free just because it's, it helps all of us in the end. You know, when you, when you can give away that stuff, and you don't have to spend the time developing it. Just think how much time you can spend on those people if you're not sitting there worrying about creating something perfect for them. Like, take it, run with it. I don't mm-hmm. care. Absolutely. Make, make it way better than I ever could. <laughs> That's very cool. I, I love this. You know, I was going to say, hopefully, you know, maybe through hearing this podcast, someone will start thinking about it. And, and over time, more people can be inspired to do something like this. But giving away the program, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I think I think if you truly care about making the skill trades gap disappear, um, you have to do it for that purpose. Like, yes, it benefits us in the short term, but um, if we don't do this, we're going to be bitching about the same problem ten years from now. We can't find good people, and what's funny is nobody's coming to save us. Like, we have to do it ourselves. Nobody's going to solve this problem. No doubt, us. absolutely, nobody's going to solve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you and I were talking, and you were headed out to a to a retreat. It's pretty much for CEOs and like their direct reports. If you know, gotcha. if they if they have somebody they want to bring, um, and for that one, it's it's as simple as we're all struggling with the exact same thing. You know, um, we're struggling with how to lead people. We're struggling with how to how to develop the talent, treat them so good that they don't want to leave, and um, to be able to get guys who are running companies out of the madness and to separate them from that where they can speak to people that have zero to gain from them or don't have any any leverage on on that kind of information that they're willing to share um i i think guys need it guys who are running companies like that have to have some kind of outlet where they can realize that they're not alone in the struggles yeah the until i think the last five or six years most people felt pretty alone out there in contracting and doing this kind of work because I mean, social media has really changed, turned that around for sure. I would agree with that. I think, I think there are so many evils possibly that are not possibly. There are so many evils that come from social media. Um, some of the stuff that happens here and in this space, um, is kind of the bright spot for me. Um, the connections that we're able to make with people, um, the community that um, this little group of guys um, on here has been able to create is a, is a great thing. Um, a lot of my professional development has come from the people that I've met on here. Um, and it's uh, it sounds really corny to say, but um, I think it's the future of recruiting as well because there's so many passionate people who already are on this platform that um, that's, the, that's the first hurdle. 
are you passionate about what you do? Um, if they can, if they can find the passion here, and then they can connect with people that are going to give them wonderful careers instead of going under a mountain of debt, um, then yeah, it's a it's a plus. What do you say to someone who says their employees should figure it out, and if I hire them, they should just be a good worker, and if they're not a good worker, too bad. That's their problem. Oh, that's that's wonderful. I would I would say that you have a lot of turnover, and you wonder why you struggle with the same problems every single day. Like, why is your why is your working life crap? Um, why don't why don't you start investing in people? And those guys are just scared, and it is scary. Um, most people get paralyzed by the fact that if we if we train, develop, and invest in all these wonderful people, that they'll that they'll leave. And we always say, what if you don't invest in them, train them or develop them and they stay? Right. And if they leave and they become a trade partner or good things come back to you because of it, they, they train someone who comes your way or they send people, or they send people your way. That's exactly right. They become your ambassador. From that point, you develop them and you invest in them like out of your heart. You're not trying to get reciprocity out of this investment. Those guys, when they leave, they become people that will will carry your banner everywhere they go, and they will A players, no other A players, and they will send them your way. And guess what? At a certain point, you don't have to recruit anymore. All of those people that you sent out into the world are doing it for you. Absolutely. So I don't know if you've had trouble with employees over the years ever, but you know, one of my questions is, where do you draw the line? You know, where, where do you, when do you call uncle on an employee that's not working out? It's mm, a great question. Um, and yeah, we obviously, I, I feel like we've probably struggled with this as much or more than anybody. Um, you know, it's, uh, and I think you evolve, um, when you're managing people or when you're running a company, I think, I think you start out, um, really small with a, really close-knit group of people and as that scales and as that grows you have to evolve the way that you relate to people um even even in the last few years um our evolution has been that we would we felt like we were putting really clear expectations on the table um we had we had all of these rules um that if you don't operate by these rules it's totally fine but um we can still be friends you just can't work here um and we've evolved that even in the last few years um, to stop making expectations on people and start making agreements with them. Um, do you agree to operate in this manner? Um, do you agree to do this? And if, if two people agree to it, it's really easy to hold each other accountable because it's never, it's never one way. I either, I've either dropped the ball or they've dropped the ball, and almost always it's the fact that we, we both didn't do our part. So um, when you have that kind of relationship with the guys you work with, it's easy to look at each other and say, you have more potential than what you're putting out right now. Um, and when, when, guys don't wanna, when guys don't want to uh, perform at the level that we need them to, it's really easy. It's, it's never a surprise to them. We try to have constant, frequent, all the time updates of how people are doing. And, you know, guys know when they get off track. You know, and everybody gets off track. When was the last time you got up on the interstate and never had to steer your car? 
you know, mm-hmm. it's always constant corrections, and that's just how, that's how the that's how the relationship is as well, and you got to be okay with that. But when things start to take a turn, or people start deciding not to honor their agreement, you escalate it, and you escalate it quickly, and you get them off the team because. If you open them up to the marketplace, there's some place where they're going to be successful, and it's not fair for me to to hoard a problem. You know, we can we can we can end the working relationship, and um, it's going to be the best for both parties if if we stuck to our agreement. I like the separation between or the the differentiation between between an agreement and just expectation, like telling them what to do. The agreement really puts the onus on them. Yep, it does, and mm-hmm. I. When it clicked for me, um, it was literally at this table during one of our, you know, leadership meetings. Um, one of my guys, Adam, held his hand up and said, "You have to stop doing this." I said, "What am I doing?" He said, "You're you're bringing the tablets down and making expectations on people, and they're not agreeing to it, and then you suffer the the result." of the fact that you have all of these these rules that aren't communicated to people. And when they don't follow them, that's when people start, you know, having to be off the bus. And when it clicked, I realized, I cannot believe I've been leading people in that manner. Um, and I probably still do it. Um, but I try really hard that we are, it's a, it's a relationship. And if they're not agreeing to it, it's totally fine. But um, to be a part of this team, you're going to have to agree to these things. And do you feel like uh, when whoever it was who called you out on that, did, were you like kind of trying to group lead instead of individually lead? Was that kind of a problem too? I don't know if that was a problem. We try to make we try to make big decisions as a as a cohesive leadership team. Uh-huh. Like we will argue to the death at this table, um, and it gets heated. Um, but when we walk out of these doors, it's one cohesive message. Um, so in order to do that, you have to have the trust of being able to lay it all out on the table. And if your idea is not the best, you have to support whatever the best idea is. And those guys know, and they frequently practice the fact that they can raise their hand and say, what I'm doing is stupid. <laughs> and um, if you can't trust your team to tell you the truth, um, you, you're losing battles every day because um, they don't truly trust you. They don't trust your reactions. And to have guys like Adam Hilner who would stand up and say, this is effed up. Um, this is this is why this person is, is struggling. It's because you've never been clear with them. You're letting them live in this gray zone where I'm the only one making the rules. It's not fair to them. It's not the pro- fact that they're having a problem. It's my lack of leadership that's, that's leading to this. Like if we're clear and make those agreements, then they don't want to do it totally. Totally fine. I can absolve myself from the responsibility because mm. they're making the decision. Uh, but up until that point, hundred percent my fault. Yeah, because we're because you weren't picking. You're not picking up on some. You're not picking up on the signal that they're not getting it. You're saying it. You're looking in the eye. They nod and they just ignore. Yeah, um, or it's a silent it, protest. You know, which is even more dangerous because. Yeah. They'll they'll nod to your face and then and then it's a completely different story when they're away from you and that's it's a lack of trust it's a lack of confrontation it's a lack of you know accountability um, and all of that stems from my leadership if we don't have that it's because I failed yeah if it's protest it's brutal that's bad news yep. um 
So what about people who aren't, so you're, so are there people on your, you, in, in these instances, do you find that there's people who just aren't teachable or they just should be somewhere else? Um, I think there are, I think most people are teachable. I don't think hardly anybody yeah. is coachable. Um, you know, there's a big difference in being teachable and coachable. Um, I can work with coachable. Teachable is you take all this information, but you don't execute any, any changes with it. Um, I think that, um, when we've had, when we've had difficulty, it is, um, we weeded out now, but in the past we would let people on the team we knew weren't a good fit and we didn't see that humility and we didn't see that self-awareness. Um, and you know, when people don't possess those, those abilities, it's really hard to do the things as finished carpenters that we have to do. Like we're skills based, you know, the skills have to keep doing this. When you see something better, you have to do it better and you can't spend time being butt hurt or self-conscious or like hiding your mistake. You have to, you have to broadcast it and make it fair. Um, that if you learn something, everybody else needs to learn it too. So none of that stuff can exist if, if people aren't coachable. I just hear from, you know, one of the complaints I hear from, and this is free people out there listening, really from people are trying to manage their employee, maybe one or two, maybe they're starting out. Maybe they've never really had a leadership role before. They've been led a little bit, but you know, they're carrying on with their trade and, and they're like, Oh, I just can't teach this kid anything. Yeah. And, and they say they can't learn. And I think, hmm, I don't know if you're trying the right thing. That That's true. I think there's three things to that. One is you're not charging enough to create the space to teach people. Your margins are so small that all you're concerned about is, oh, my God, I have to make this small margin. That's number one, mm. probably a different conversation. Number two is you're letting the wrong people on your team and your interview process probably sucks um, because you would rather have a body than you would a person who who has the things you know you want in the trench with you, um, but you do not have the fortitude to, to weed those people out because you hate being uncomfortable in interviews. Um, and and three, um, you you probably don't understand what it's like to, to coach and what the realistic expectations are to teach people People aren't gonna are not gonna learn without um, without really really detailed um, step by step instruction. And guess what? People usually need to hear it seven times before it clicks. And if you're not cool with that, you shouldn't be teaching people. Um, but so much of it um, is who people let on their on their team. It's I, I hear it too. Um, I see it um, that people when they interview people, it is, they're not trained in it. They don't understand how to weed people out for their values. And they certainly don't, they don't stop the process when like their guts telling them this person isn't a fit. Literally the last interview I had of the day, five minutes before we hopped on this, I, I ended it like five minutes in. I said, Hey, Hey, um, that's a great story. Um, I really appreciate you coming in today. I said, but this is not the place for you. <laughs> he said, Oh, wow. what do you mean? I said, this place is going to be like battery acid to you, man. He 
said, why? I said, you literally just told me you're just looking for a job. I said, this is not the place for you. I can tell you three or four places you'll be a great fit. It is not within these walls. Um, I'm, I'm saving you the trouble and trying to expedite the fact that um, you are going to hate it here. Um, so nice to meet you. Take a water on the way out. See ya. That dude's moping around Knoxville right now, feeling bad about himself. <laughs> I, I even told him, I said, no, hey, here's, um, I said, hey um, would you like some tips for the next interview? Like, it's not going to work here, but I'll tell you how to be better in your next interview. Like, stop telling people that you just need a job. Research the company that you're actually sitting down in front of. Have some passion about what you do. Stand up. Have some self-confidence instead of, like, this self-conscious, mopey nature. That's the last person I want on the team, somebody who I'm going to have to lift up every single day. I'd rather somebody I'm reeling back every day. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So, I hope he took it. Um, I don't think he's had anybody give him advice on the way to interview as they didn't get the job, but we'll see. No, I'm sure if he's moping, he'll get over it, and he's just going to be a little shell-shocked for a couple of days. Right? <laughs> he need, he, sounds like a guy needed to hear it, and, and it's good you told him, right? Because nobody, nobody, nobody else was going to tell him. Yeah, that's the thing is if you truly care about people, you're going to – you're going to tell them the truth. Um, it's uncomfortable in the moment, but it's a muscle. you got to practice it just like anything else. Yeah. Uh, but somebody's going to let him go for the next 10 years and think that he's doing well. Right. Like, stop it. Stop lying to people, man. Right. Be the ass once in your life, and you will change somebody's life. And 10 years from now, he's going to look back and say, he was right. Or at least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> yeah. Or he's going to be like, that guy was such a prick. Yeah, my my, my, sure my feelings are still hurt. Um, I'm sure I'll hear about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, leading and managing a new generation um, is completely different than managing, you know, the generation of, of my age and even older. Um, it's two completely different uh, skill sets to manage those people. If... Uh, we had one of our most talented people, one of the best stair guys I've ever seen is a guy named Jerry that's on our team. Jerry's Jerry's in his 60s. If I call Jerry and I say, hey, Jerry, um, we need to we need to meet this afternoon for a check-in. You know what Jerry does? Jerry packs all of his tools because he thinks he's getting fired, right? But young guys, if I don't call them every week for a check-in and an update and a report, they think they're getting fired. It's two completely different things, and you have to be aware of how that stuff impacts people, oh, so and you have to manage through that. But it's it's the truth. But it's it's hilarious, but it's it is true. Yeah, it was uh, it was all about mind reading when I was getting into it. <laughs> They're like, you're just getting yelled at, and you have no idea no, what's going great. on. No idea. Why is this happening? I thought I was yep. doing great. <laughs> I was having fun. Uh, uh, so what about on-site management? What is the what is a key to being on site with your employees? If you were talking to someone about it, what would you tell them? I think you have to know your people and you have to care about your people. Um, you know, we've We've got we've got team leads and we've got foreman we've got project managers but um, I don't think anybody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have a connection with that person, um, 
no, there's there's no there's no true conflict happening, um, and if that's not happening, then then nothing's actually getting better. Um, I think you can I think you can lack technical expertise and still be a wonderful leader and manager. Um, you just have to have humility and realize that all the guys who are surrounding you are, are experts, and you have to lean on them. And you have to take pressure off of them. You have to figure out what pain they're experiencing and like what's in front of them that keeps them from performing. If you can do that, you can manage people and you can lead people and communicate with them. But if you think you're always right, you think you have the best answer. Um, you, everybody's gonna everybody's going to nod to your face and then laugh behind your back. Mm-hmm. And then and then kind of zooming out. You know, looking at the site management and what goes into it and what goes mm-hmm. into before the job is happening. You know, oh, like, yeah. like, for, like for me, the thing that really changed the game was, was pre-construction, getting paid for pre-construction. Yeah. So I could come in with my foreman and give him prints or something, or just turn him loose on the job after I've kind of looked at it and be like, tell me what you see, what do you think? And then, time for execution, I, I've yeah. turned them loose and I'm, I'm feeling very confident. It is. I think paid for planning is such a, it shouldn't be a revolutionary idea, but it is to people because people like to, like to hide behind industry standards or whatever the BS term is that they like to use. But um, if you're not creating margins in your work, if you're not, if you are not creating space to plan the work, um, you're always operating in chaos. Um, Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, right. For us, it's and, you and, know even. Go ahead. No, like what you were saying before about not uh, about training, and and you're not put. You don't have enough money to create the space to train people, because you're yeah. you're like looking at your watch, going oh, and then we're and the more intent, the more upset you get, the more everybody feels it, and yeah. it throws everybody off. It does, and it's, uh, I don't know, so many people get stuck in the craftsman cycle of, of the next thing, of this, just to pay the last thing that you didn't charge enough for, and it's it's this brutal, brutal cycle that um, you just want to shake some people and say, please, please stop. You know, if you if you learn to specialize, if you, if you learn what your niche market is, you learn how to properly charge for it. If you if you start, you know, solving rich people problems, it's uh, you have a lot more breathing room because everybody makes mistakes. Um, but if you can't absorb those mistakes, or you can't like have somebody who's paid to be solving problems six months from now, man, it's you're in a constant firefight, and that's why people work eighty hours a week. They hate their life. Their family life sucks. They they don't ever make it to church because. All of these things add up to no breathing room, and it's because they don't have the courage to charge what they're worth, or they don't—they don't actually provide the value, and they're self-conscious about that. So, it's a—it's a sad way of being, but that's—that's uh, that's what so many people operate in until until somebody takes the blinders off them. I also think that it's—it's it's a natural—it's a natural result of a tradesperson becoming a business person. And then not having time to learn about being a business person. Yeah, and nobody they, starts and, hammer because they want to do spreadsheets. Um, that's that's just what it is. And no, and 
most people are so self-conscious about how poorly they've ran their business for years that they never hire a bookkeeper. They never let their accountant in. They just operate in this zone of I hope and I wish and maybe one day. And, you know, they're, they're running a compassion ministry for millionaires. They are hurting their family's future. They are mortgaging their kids' future because they're too embarrassed to ask for help. Absolutely. What was the moment you realized that talking to clients wasn't just black and white, like yes, no transaction? Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I think um, here Josh has always been blessed with that gift. When I worked here the first time, um, I totally did not understand it. Um, I had a very limited uh, range of view when it came to that kind of stuff. I thought it was very black and white. Um, when Trades, I tradesman, went, just a trade, like yeah, a, just want to. It is cut and nail yeah, and I'll just, I'll respect me and. And I'm spending money like it's mine, you know, like it's like it's my wallet, you know. So uh, I had no concept of of how to actually serve wealthy people. Um, and then when I went to work for Julian and Sons, um, those guys opened my eyes to no, there's a completely different way of relating to people um, and solving their problems um, and not coming at people with like commission breath. Um, where they can smell it. Um, you're actually just solving their problems. Um, it's when I had it modeled for me and understood that um, I got a call one day from a, from a guy who said, how much is it for, I hear you guys build really expensive gun rooms. And we said, yeah, you know, they are. Well, there's a lot that you get for the money. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. I want it to be obscenely expensive. We can do that. Yeah. Baby. So, um, when you when you understand that, um, stop viewing it through the eyes that you've been trained in. Um, that it's not it's not my money, and I do not understand or didn't at the time how how they think um, and how to serve them. Um, you know, uh, it is not black and white. You have to walk into a room quickly and understand what this client needs, what their pain points are. And stop, and stop trying to be interesting and be interested in their problem. Um, it's a it's a completely new way of taking care of a client, and you know it's when when you get that and you truly start trying to solve those problems, people will gravitate towards you. Hundred percent. Yeah, you need to captivate them and and to keep the conversation absolutely focused on what they like. Yeah, it is. I mean they. You don't they, really need to talk about yourself. Care about them. Yeah. You know, it's um, they they want to solve. They want it solved quickly, and you know, they 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 will pay whatever it takes to get that done. But um, to micromanage that kind of stuff and not understand what they're they're truly after and their expectations, you're you're missing the boat. Absolutely, um, and then. You know, what about when something, what about when stuff goes wrong with one of these clients? Mm, I think the, you know, there's a, there's a lot to that. I think there's, there's a couple books on customer service, like uh, Zingerman's, if you haven't read or not been exposed to Zingerman's training, um, that's something that I would recommend for anybody. You know, they have, they have rules for like handling a complaint and, it sounds simple, but it's brilliant. You know, you, you let somebody, um, 
completely uh, tell you tell you what's wrong. You know, stop trying to like stop them and excuse it and make excuses. You say thank you and you solve the problem for them. Whatever it is, you make sure you solve that problem and you go one step higher. Whatever it is, um, you you meet their expectations plus one. Um, people will have a lot of grace for you if if you do that every time. Um, and it's it sounds really simple, but um, we try to train all of our staff on on those on those simple ways of customer service. If the customer is unhappy or or they're complaining or something, is the customer always right? No, I don't think they are, and I think quite often. Um, think quite often they are paying us to be the experts to um, to bring like you know some some form to all the chaos they have a thousand decisions in front of them whether they're building a custom home whether they're they're coming to us for a custom kitchen whatever it is or if they're a GC hiring us to do this massive house um, they're hiring us to be the experts um, you don't have to you don't have to bend to their will. Typically, the best way you serve people is by telling them no and allowing them to be wrong with dignity. Um, if you can't do those things and you bring ego into it, um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna damage relationships and you're making it about yourself and and not truly about like serving the mutual shared purpose. I like that. I I really like that that you're making it about yourself because I think that's a I think that becomes a big problem. It is. Anytime when I find myself like in a, in a tough situation where, where I get frustrated about it or I know that, know that I'm right, um, I, I, have, I have people around me who say, no, um, you're, just, you're just exercising some ego in this situation. Um, there you go. You don't by being, by being right, like turn loose of it um, and serve the people that really need you. Yeah. And, and, and I think most of the time when stuff goes wrong, you can retrace it. You can probably retrace it to something you missed, oh, yeah. something that got missed along the way. And like taking ownership of those mistakes is, is a huge. Yeah. Or you didn't let them know when, when you knew, you know, there's so many things that we're like, Hey, this is going to be an issue, but we don't tell anybody. We don't tell the client. We don't tell the GC that, Hey, um, this is going wrong. This is the first step in like what's going to be a really big problem. Um, we try to fix it. We try to cover it up. We don't. We do all of these things that if you just if you told them the truth and you allow them time to like process and plan and deal with it, everybody's fine with it. We tell ourselves a story that they're not going to accept us as as a person or whatever the stupid story is, and we make it personal and then we don't deal with it because we're self conscious. Absolutely. I, I love, I, I want to be open with my clients always, but they don't need to know everything. Like I, I say they should, we should be open and honest and clear, but if you don't have to ask for more money and you can solve a problem, you know, you have, it's just like, get that thing done, whatever it takes. Uh, if you think about these people, um, they have, they have a limited amount of time and um, the more successful you become, the more you realize the value of that time. What they're hiring us for is to make those problems go away. If it doesn't impact them or the schedule or something that they have to be involved in, solve it. Solve yeah. It, solve it ethically, and and do it in a way to where it does not, where it does not impact those things that they really care about. If they never hear about it, problem goes away. That's way better.
it's not a problem. Yeah, it's not a problem for us. You know, um, a lot of times on big projects, we're just we're part of the picture. So if we see something and don't say something and it becomes a problem later on, um, man, that's a that's a that's a big strike against us. Um, I think, you know, if you can bring it to the GC's attention and already have solutions in place, um, then then you're helping that guy. But if you're adding more to that guy's plate, who's already probably stressed beyond his limit. Oh, yeah. If you're not if you're not taking some of that weight off his shoulders, they don't want to work with you um, and they shouldn't be paying the kind of money that they they pay to work with you if you're not helping solve the problem. If you're creating more, um, you're just a part of the burden. Um, I wouldn't hire us either if we were doing that. Yeah, one of my guys always said, uh, there's no problems, only solutions. That was always the attitude when he was on my crew and it was awesome. Yeah, those those guys were winners. Those yeah, were winners. yeah. I love that. Yeah, and that burden at the end, I mean, working for a GC, I'm a GC. So at the end, yeah, the GC is like, just everybody, please yes. stay on schedule. Do like, let's go. Yep. I don't yeah. want <laughs> no more phone calls. Yeah, that's what it is. You guys are, you know, that's the that's the prime time for you guys. It's, you know, it all it all crunches down into that. And when um, when you're not helping that guy like drag that thing across the finish line, they remember it. They remember the guys who were there and they remember the guys who made it more difficult. Um, so I think that's when we win it or lose it is in those last couple of days. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, people, people will forget a project being a little bit over budget. Um, they will forget um, something being a little extended in the timeline, but they will never forget if you, if you do a bad job. So we try mm -hmm. to make sure we finish strong on stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's the way to be. That's the spirit yeah. because that GC is dealing with the client. Oh yeah. And yeah, you guys well, probably, you got the client looking over your shoulders too. Yeah. And you know, that's what I, that's what I like to remind our team um, and myself is that the stress that we feel like we're experiencing, um, what some of those guys have to experience, they're getting pressure from all sides, you know? Um, so, so be the guy who, who helps be the guy who's like, no, we'll, we'll fix this. Don't worry. Absolutely. About yeah. Cause we're on the same team for sure. Yep. So how, how you doing on time, Joe? Uh, I'm good. I got a couple more minutes if you, if you need it. Okay. Let's, I'm going to, I'm going to just go to like the kind of fun questions and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Um, okay. Here's my, here's my simple question. Why do skilled trades matter? Hmm. I think right now skilled trades matter because, um, there's so many people that are, that are mortgaging their future for debt because people have told them their whole life that they have to have a college degree to amount to anything. And right now, more than ever, you see, you see the guys who are rising to the top, um, as the guys who took a different path. Um, and I think if we continue to coach our children and our children's children into a path of debt, um, I don't, I don't think we should look in the mirror anymore. There's, you can have a wonderful life as a, as a tradesperson, 
Um, and all the people that I know, nothing against my friends who are, uh, are white collar, but um, all the guys I know who are the most successful and have the, have the most rewarding like lives are guys who have, who, who've done a trade and man, they're just, they are reaping the benefits right now of putting in the grind and the hard work and, and doing it. I'd have to agree that my friends in the trades are the most content. Yep. Yeah. Because the, the human soul is meant for that. It's meant to build. It's meant to create. It's meant to like stand back and say, I built that. I made that run. I did this. It's not meant to sit there and say, Ooh, I did that. And somewhere it goes off into oblivion and you never see the actual concrete evidence of your, of your toil and struggle. It, it'll, it'll rot your soul from the inside. If you never see any evidence that you were, that you did something. No doubt. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite tool? Hmm. Hmm. My favorite tool. Man, I think for me, it is a dry line um, that that little, um, you know, we all we all make fun of it and call it the Tomo line, you know, but um, the the little like three prong where it's a it's a dry string line. You can you can do anything with that. Um, mm. That is my that is my favorite go to tool and a string line doesn't lie. So that's uh, that's my favorite tool. My guys are going to say my iPad, but um, that's, that's well. The next question is your most useful tool. Mm, man, I would say, um, I would say. It'd be the same one. Yeah. Um, man, for me, um, just from a geek standpoint, the thing that has made the biggest difference for us as a team and management is, uh, is an app called Good Notes. Um, the amount of information that we can, that we can harness, transmit the ease of use, all of these things. And it's like a $7 app for the iPad. Um, what we're able to do with that and share information in real time, um, is a, is a game changer, um, for our team. Um, anybody that I know right now, I'm trying to get them to, to use it. It's a, it's a great thing. Now, but your, does your whole team have pa uh, pads? Um, I would say project managers, foremen, and team leads all have iPads and have access to that information. So you guys are just constantly shooting information that yeah. way. Very yep. cool. Or if we can, the good thing about it is we can we can go in on a set of plans. We can literally take a picture, overlay it on the set of plans, draw out the detail, or write a note, whatever it is, and it lives there. Like whoever opens it up in a shared document can see all of that information in real time. They can see what I'm doing and it's a, uh, it's a great thing. Neat. Really neat. Uh, what about the, where have you been on my life tool? <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think for something like that is, um, what's changing workflow for us is like Milwaukee's, uh, uh, the rolling, the drawer pack outs. Um, oh, yeah. every time I walk on a site, you know, we're, we're even giving it to the guys who come in for scholarship. Um, Milwaukee helps with that stuff. And our team is just like outfitted from, from top to bottom. And now what used to be 
like trips and trips to the truck and getting this tool or that tool roll in, they roll out and it all lives right there. It's not spread out sustainers. It's not all of this crap. It is, it's efficient. It's, it's, um, it's safer. Um, it's all of these things that, man, if I'd had that 10 or 15 years ago, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. I would have, <laughs> I would take years of my life pumping in tools is what I would have done. I think about 15 years ago when I would finish a job and put every tool, like finishing a remodel, you, when you're finishing a kitchen or bathroom remodel, you have every tool every, you own in their garage. Yeah. And then I'm putting in the back of the pickup, turn chunk chunk takes yep. hours to break down clean up and get everything in there and getting home and i remember getting home and throwing a blue tarp over the tools for night and being like i am not putting this in the shed today yeah. I'm, I'm done yeah it's it's so much more efficient we have yeah. we have us um the guy who shoots all of our training videos caleb caleb um has this monster van that used to be full of stuff it looked like a train yeah. now he's got he's got two towers rolls in rolls out it's wonderful five, and I'm like, man, that's a lot of money he's saving every single day. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, incredible. no doubt. Yep. But yeah, you know, he leads by example with that. And now the rest of the team is like taking it off. So, so when your apprentices come in is, and they get their 1500 bucks, are they buying all buying pack outs? Their own individual uh, pack outs? We try to give them pack out stuff. Okay. Um, so they can, so they, awesome. you, we have a, it's funny. We have a, we have a document, an ideal tool list. It's like from day one until you're in it 10 years, this is what your setup should look like. So start checking them off. And it's, it's every single hand tool, your everyday carry, all of this stuff. And it's like, until you get your EDC done, you don't, you're not going out and buying a miter saw before you have like every single thing that you need. Um, mm. So we try to walk them through that. So they at least spend it wisely. Um, and don't go out and buy a domino when they've been doing it for two weeks. Right. The domino is going to sit for three years before they use it again. Oh yeah. It's, it's funny. And when guys, when it clicks and they're like, Oh, I did need a vest and Oh, I do need yeah. all little stuff. And now I'm twice as efficient. You know, um, that that's a light bulb moment. You're not, you know, um, you're not just wasting it and trying to carry around all that crap. Where are you guys getting your vests? Uh, Diamondback, baby. You know. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I just got I just got a Diamondback vest. Oh, it's it's very it's excited. Wonderful. You know, when when we would do a lot of cabinet installs, um, we could get by with the snicker stuff and some some of those things, um, and they were great for what they were. But it's kind of like um, like Brad Gosling says, it's a skirt with pockets at a certain point. Um, so now you know having everything a lot more compact and a lot more rugged. And there's times where we really do need to have a little bit more capacity. Um, and there's, in my opinion, there's, there's nothing better than that right now. I think we've got nine or 10 guys on the team that are fully outfitted with 701s and Dos Clavos. And it's a, it's wonderful. It's a blessing nice. to produce and stuff like that. Very cool. Okay. Best job site jams. Mm, brother. I am, I listen to both kinds of music, country and Western. <laughs> All right. Any any particular artist? I love it. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, stuff like I don't know Tyler Childers, um, mm -hmm. you know that kind of that kind of folk that stuff from, yeah. from the area where we're from. There's something yeah. there's something special to to me about hearing guys like that who who do incredible things. Yeah, 
Yeah, Tyler Childers is great. Uh, who would be your mentor? Mm, that's wonderful. Um, man, um, I think obviously Josh here has, ha I wouldn't, I wouldn't have or be doing what I'm doing without him. Um, when it comes to business, uh, definitely Sean Van Dyke, um, you know, he's, yeah. Uh, when it comes to that stuff, he opened my eyes to, to how to actually um, operate all that stuff and how to be a dad. Um, I would say for, man, for working and for focus um, and for like just never giving up on stuff. Um, like Jake Julian that um, is one of the brothers from Julian and Sons. Just, uh, just an absolute beast of a carpenter and somebody who um, the tenacity of never, never allowing a problem to stop the progress. Um, there was nothing that wasn't able to be fixed and fixed quickly and to push, um, to see how much work one individual could put in place like that. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a mixed bag, but that's it. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, hey, do you think everybody out there listening should write us a five-star review or rate us on Spotify? Mm, I think they should write you a five-star review. Right. <laughs> we will see what people think about what I have to say about stuff. It may be a little bit controversial, so you, you may even have to pull this episode at some point. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully not. It's, it's going to be a good one. I, I'm really looking forward to getting this out there. Uh, is there anyone you want to give a shout-out to today? Mm, man, um, I think I think just a big one. I think anybody who watches this that has a company um, that you've done all the right things, you you care about your people, you care about um, what's happening in the industry. Um, you know, start start trying to bring some of these young people in um, and and change their life with knowledge. Just like stop thinking you have to have this program figured out or that things have to be perfect and all of this bullcrap that everybody always tells you um just do it um the best thing you can do is start you know the best time to plant a tree is 50 years ago or now like plant your tree and allow these guys to 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 get on a path um make it easy to get in the door and safe to get in the door to learn something stop doing the stuff where they need five years experience or they need this or that. Like they always forget about the guy who gave them a chance when they didn't have any experience. Do it for somebody else, man. Give, give kids the same opportunities that, that you sit back and enjoy the, the benefits of. Joe Mitchell, it has been a real inspiration to have you on the show today. I'm sorry, man. I, I ramble. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I, that I'm inspired by, by what you just said. Absolutely. I really appreciate it, man. It's, think, it's guys like you who are making a difference. So thank thank you very much. Uh yeah, we're all in this together. We gotta we gotta pull it together. Yep. For sure. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thank you.